Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconstein from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Now, it is festival time. We are so excited. Festivals are upon us, and we are talking tonight. Well, first, I'll tell you what films we'll be talking about later in the program, one of which is Unsane, which is in cinemas now, as is, I'm going I'm to try to get this correct, the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. Does that sound right? It's, it's very British. I, I approve. You might have forgotten one or two british words in the middle there. Yeah, yeah, shepherd's pie, pecan pie, other pies. Something like that. It's a, it's a very British film. We will be talking about it as we will be talking about Loveless, which is not a British very film at all. Very extremely Russian film. I don't think you could get more Russian than Loveless. Yes. Death and vodka. Cold, cold winters. Yes. What appropriate as we are getting into winter now. So Paul Offset ends for our film discussion later. But first, we're very excited because we are talking about a new, exciting and inaugural festival opening in Sydney tomorrow. It is the Cinema Reborn Festival and it is run at and by the Australian Film and Television and Radio School Afters, of which Chris and I have both been students. Yeah. And this is going to be a very biased episode because we have <laughs> alumni from Afters. So, yay. Well, I'm not there anymore, so I'm, I'm completely impartial. It's all... Yes, impartially partial. That's correct. Partially partial. Nice double speak there. Fantastic. (laughs) And we have, as our guest tonight, the chair of the Cinema Reborn Organised Committee, Jeffrey Gardner. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks very much. It's a pleasure to be here. So Cinema Reborn, it's starting tomorrow night. We're keen to get to talk about some of the films and the festival overall. But first of all, can you tell us it's a new festival? What is Cinema Reborn all about? Cinema Reborn is a bit like one of those uh, little fish that swim in the mouth of the big fish. The big fish is the uh, Cinema Ritrovato event in Bologna in Italy, which has over the last 30 years developed this fabulous reputation for bringing back the past. It is now up to screening in seven cinemas, a nightly screening in the city square for 10,000 people. And everything is old, is vintage, but it's all been restored, it's new, the archives of the world assemble there. And this is a very, very small start to try and bring that experience to uh, Sydney. So uh, the films that are screened there are mostly films that have screened at that festival in Bologna? Oh, that's a good question. Um, Probably about half of them have. Um, The other half we've got from a few sources that wouldn't have been there. And over a third of the program is Australian films from the past. And Bologna does not screen Australian films. And we've got a great range of new Australian restoration documentaries, experimental work, short film by Michael Thornhill and Frank Morehouse and uh, their first feature together Between Wars so that's that's a particular focus that actually sort of slowly developed over the course of the time when we started programming and a couple of people came to us and said look we've got something that you might be interested in and Afters was, was terrific in the way they let us expand the program. I think we went from starting from about 11 films through to now 16. Right. It's gone from Three days to five days, so um, yeah, it's been a learning process, but uh, we're really thrilled actually at, at what, we've, what we've finally assembled. I was wondering about what motivation was going into the selection of the Australian films, because it's a very, as you were talking about before, sort of unusual collection. It seems yeah. to me that it's really drawing attention to lesser-seen Australian work. Well, very much. One of our one of our programmers, uh, Quentin Turner, was very keen on doing two things. One was uh, screening Ian Dunlop's fabulous 
fabulous. Very famous documentary, People of the Western Desert, which has just had a major restoration done on it. It's it's nearly eight hours long if you screen all of it. And that was made in the 60s, black and white, no sound, but it's a quite extraordinary record of Aboriginal life before they went on to communities and, uh, and so on. It got quite strong following in Europe and then disappeared, but uh, Film Australia has put in the hard yards and uh, the, the copy is just magnificent. Michael Thornhill's film was one of uh, five that he made with the author Frank Morehouse and it's quite something too. That hasn't had a restoration. We've we've in fact had to get a 35mm copy of that from the British Film Archive but Quentin was very keen that we have those. Then when the word got around we were approached by Margot Nash from UTS who said I've, I've done this work on getting two Melbourne underground films from the 60s and 70s and we scanned them got them back to the best they can look and so we added two more and there we are and then we got the Jane Campion film uh, as well yes it, it just grew I'm interested in the pick for the Sri Lankan director Lester James Perry because he just passed away died, yeah. last month so yeah, it's well, a very very like too, wasn't it? Uh, yeah Oh, maybe maybe it was a month or so, but I only heard about it uh, literally today. He was 99. and uh, uh, It's a very interesting pick because uh, the subcontinent, I don't think, gets much love in the Western film circuit. And uh, I think Satyajit Ray has sort of transcended that, but Perry is kind of has flown under the radar a bit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Sri Lanka was never a sort of major filmmaking country, uh, even for Asia. And Perry's really a, a lone figure in Sri Lankan cinema. He had made maybe 15 films before uh, the first of them was taken over to the uh, Western European Film Festivals. And that's the one that we're actually screening, The Treasure. It went to Venice in 1972, I think, and that was the start of his reputation outside Sri Lanka. I have to confess I haven't seen that, but when we were fishing around for titles, we were put in touch with a film archivist in India, Shivendra Singh, and he said to us, look, you've got to go after this film. This is really important. So we were very grateful to him. He paved all the way, and it turned out to be another one of the films that Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Foundation had restored. So it came as part of the parcel from Bologna. The Shadi Abdel films as well, mm. I think, are an interesting pick for the festival because it seems to me like you've got your really, really famous auteurs like Renoir and mm. Fassbinder mm. going toe-to-toe with lesser-seen films from countries that haven't had as big of an international profile in the film scene. Yeah, well, Shadi Abdel Salam is an interesting case because he only made two dramatic films, one a feature-length film and uh, one short. We had a test run of, uh, of those two films uh, this morning and uh, been I'm I have a feeling that the the screening of the the short film The Eloquent Peasant uh, might have been the first time it's ever been screened in Australia. I'm I'm not aware of any previous screenings. Um, Night of Counting the Years was screened in the film festivals back in the early 70s and then disappeared, absolutely disappeared. And again, it's another Scorsese restoration that it looks magnificent on the screen. It was just extraordinary, the, uh, the, the colour that they brought out in it. Right. Yeah, it's exciting to see films like that that have never had attention drawn to them Yeah, on this scale. That's the whole point of the exercise. Right, Uh, because I was wondering, Mm. do you think that the intention behind a festival like this should be to create demand to see these sorts of films, or is it to cater to demand that um, we might not be aware of? Oh, 
well, I suppose there's, there's going to be both in, uh, of that, but um, you, would, you would hope that people are curious, mm. uh, that it's not just because they've heard of Renoir that they're going to come out and see one of his films. Um, if they, they have to trust us, I suppose, to have assembled a, a program that... Um, yeah, it's working for me. It seems like very curated, <laughs> and, yeah, which yeah. I like to see. You know, it's, it's drawing attention to things, that some of which I had never heard of. Well, there's another one there, um, the Med Hondo film Soleil. Um, Hondo was brought to Bologna last year and they screened four of his films. The one that we've got is the only one that's had a digital restoration done. All the others uh, held on 35mm prints at the Harvard Film Archive. Hondo himself is nearly 86 now, I think, and he struggled all his life to do what he wanted to do. The, the, the one that we really wanted to get was a, a musical he made called West Indies, which unfortunately is only available on 35mm and the, the cost, at least for us this year, was, was prohibitive. Hey. So um, we went instead for his, his debut, uh, which is a, a film that reflects a lot of his own experience as an immigrant in Paris. And I hope we return to him. He's a, he's a major figure that I don't think has ever had any of his films screened out here. And uh, as an African filmmaker in particular, we've actually let ourselves down slightly. We wanted to have something from all the major filmmaking continents. And uh, the South American one we wanted, we didn't get it. And um, we, at the time, just couldn't find something that filled the bill. But otherwise, we do have something from... Africa. I think that's a really noble goal for the yeah. festival. I think mm. it's fantastic. And just sitting here, I'm learning so much about all these different filmmakers, mm. uh, most of whom I actually hadn't heard of, and I'm just fascinated and looking forward to the festival. But one filmmaker I have heard of, one film he's made that I've never heard of, is one by Francis Ford Coppola, an early one. Oh, man, mm. the cinematography in that. Yes. One from the heart? Yes. Oh, right. it's stunning. Yes, it's uh, very early... Um, use of um, a lot of digital technology or the digital technology as it was back then to do a lot of his editing and uh, and so on but um, yeah working class musical uh, about a sort of fairly dumb guy and the and the woman who can't let him go or can't get herself away from him it's uh, it's quite extraordinary i'm wondering whether when we screen it the audience might get a little bit upset at the ending but we'll have to see <laughs> it's it's Probably not quite as politically correct as it might have been 35 years ago. We'll have to see, but that has just the greatest score. Tom Waits did the score, yep. and uh, Crystal Gale sings with Waits uh, through it, and boy, it's uh, it's quite something. And you have someone interested in introducing the film too, as I understand. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the, the super cinephile himself, David Stratton. Yes, yes, he's coming along, and um, he's uh, he's very excited because uh, we were very lucky with that one. We had heard that Coppola had done a restoration of another film called The Cotton Club, and he'd added in 25 minutes of song and dance footage that had originally been cut out of it when the um, original producers wanted a shorter film. Coppola himself put it all back in, and they had a, almost a sort of secret screening at uh, Telluride Film Festival last year, for which there was apparently hell to pay from the copyright owner. When we made an inquiry about getting hold of it, they said, well, you were about the 50th film festival that wow. they asked. Um, uh, no, you can't have it. It's been banned from all future screenings. But why don't you ring Francis's archivist and he'll offer you something? So we did, and it was amazing, actually. And the guy said, oh, well, I can send that out. Uh, there's a screening in Paris and a couple of weeks ago. I'll get him to send it on to you. And uh, he did that. 
no charge. Uh, wow. Was was fantastic, really. Yeah, yeah great. Week put together. Yeah. Yes. Well, what, was very lucky, of course. Why was the Cotton Club banned? <laughs> no, it hasn't been banned. Oh, just, uh, the, the, the head of the studio resented Coppola attempting to retake control of the film. It's, is, is what we heard. That's and, pretty petty. And, Thirty uh, years so later. We, uh, in a fit of pique, he said, no, no, I'm not allowing that to have any more screenings. Damn, so, wow. It's sitting there, it's all fully restored, the, the dance numbers are back in, and some executive in town, Burbank or somewhere, has got his nose out of joint about it. But mm-hmm. it'll eventually turn up. One of those crazy stories. When, when that executive gets shot out the door the way they all do. Yeah. I look forward to that. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dance numbers do make everything better, I, I can attest to that. <laughs> you guys will like one they? from the heart. I'm very much looking forward to it and um, something I sp- was very fortunate to spend a lot of late last year in the studios at Afters and around the campus and it's such a fascinating environment and to my knowledge there hasn't been a festival that's screened at Afters before and this is such an interesting and dynamic venue especially given the yeah. people and crowd you're just intrinsically going to have there that's right yes well one of the selling points for Neil Peplow at the, at the school was that we have to have a, an allocation of seats for the students uh, they don't have to pay all they have to do is uh, is turn up and they can see these uh, see these films um, that was part of what he thought was a good idea to educate them all so we can only hope that they do they do take advantage of this because a lot of these films will be having probably the only screening they'll have in Sydney uh, maybe ever <laughs> over that time yeah, yeah. for the for the foreseeable future anyway yeah. Chris is going to camp out I'm pretty sure that he was telling <laughs> really? me about oh, it he's wonderful. going to uh, no. <laughs> take a sleeping bag and sleep over yeah. it after <laughs> we did a, we did actually think of uh, whether we should try and replicate a, a sort of Saturday night outdoor thing and throw it open to everyone. But I'd come. Yeah, <laughs> our ambitions faltered at that point. Maybe next time. <laughs> next year, it's, it's early days. But, uh, they, they've been fantastic afters, and the, the best thing about it is that they have the equipment there to screen everything. We have two films that are coming to us on USB sticks, two on 35mm, all the rest in so many different digital formats that uh, it's it's mind-boggling. And it's a gorgeous theatre. Yes, it is, mm. yeah. It really is. Just, and it's, it's very well-equipped. Yeah, there's cinema, nothing yeah. like it in uh, in the rest of Sydney. So, Jeffrey, for the after students who are listening or members of the general public, it's happening tomorrow night. Yes. How do we get tickets? How do we get there? Well, you'll have to go on to the... There's a website, Cinema Reborn. I think it's WordPress, but uh, if you just type that into Google, you seem to get there. And uh, the tickets are available all online through Eventbrite. But I think the Cinema Reborn website will take you there. There's also a Facebook page that will take you there. Um, There are tickets to all the individual sessions. I think the allocation of subscription tickets is sold out, which is very, very uh, pleasing. I had one Sydney cinephile ring me in anguish yesterday saying, oh, it's sold out. But you can you can buy tickets to any of the individual sessions for uh, I think twelve dollars per uh, show. And, That's a good um, deal. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to go and see. Yeah, it's a really interesting program. I really recommend anyone listening seek it out. Yes, please do. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank okay, you. Yeah, thank you. Nice to talk. It's been good to talk, and we'll be back shortly right after this. Stay okay. tuned. Welcome back to Film Fight Club. And that was for... What was that? That was the theme music from October, directed by Shujit Sarkar. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful composition. But we're not talking about October because we're talking about something else entirely. Yeah. We're talking about Chris. We're talking about Loveless. I just can't stand, you know, I can't help myself from causing chaos. Yes, I, I haven't seen this film, but I know there's a lot of very divided opinion, but I think between what's inside the studio and outside the studio, because yeah. this has gone on rave reviews. Yeah, but rave reviews are outside of the 2SER Film Fight Club <laughs> studio, but in, in right here, we are loveless <laughs> oh, oh you just made of a rock pun well done thank you, thank you. i was gonna go with there was no love lost for this film but okay yeah. no no he, he's done it he's got it he's, he's topped it yeah. cool so what, what i actually don't know what loveless is about what is it a, a, a couple who can't stand each other and um they're just awful people and uh they don't look after their child and then one day their child runs away and then goes missing and so we have to be subjected to scenes of these this couple who hate each other, yelling at each other and screaming while they supposedly search for the child. Okay, so it's set in Russia, if, of all places, and it's one of those, it's, again, a long line of films set in Russia and now talking about the state apparatus and the individual yep. versus the state, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This film's directed by Andrei Zvyagintsev, who um, his last film caused a stir, I would say, in the world cinema yeah, it was Le- uh, Leviathan, which was also about the state crushing the individual in bleak Russian winters. But this one only has bleak Russian winters, and the state actually emerged. It's kind of like pretty competent, to be honest. Yeah. The so, individuals were like kind of fucked up, though. So it's some sort of semi Dostoevsky type tale in that yeah, sense. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, there are no notes from the underground. It was just the underground. There are okay. no notes here. It's just very bleak underground, wintry, blistery solstice. Okay, it starts out with fairly obvious commentary, I think, about, oh, everyone's been made into corrupt capitalists by this oppressive system, and so we get to watch scenes of the couple with their new partners talking about, oh, I'm always going to love you forever, and there's this cynical, detached way to the filmmaking that suggests, you know, it's not going to come true. These are empty words because we're all loveless people in a loveless society. It's shot in a very cold kind of clinical um, way with lots of long takes of small figures moving around the frame. No one ever smiles sincerely or laughs in this movie to give you an idea of the tone. Um, But yeah, I just found it really difficult to get through this movie because it's two hours of characters who we're clearly meant to judge being held at arm's length from us. I found the moralizing tone of this movie, you know, really off-putting after a while because it never gets any deeper and it never reveals any, like, real well of corruption, you know, to make us hate them. They're just fairly boring, standard-issue, selfish people. And that's not really enough to sustain a two-hour film. But even then, I don't think this film works as a character study at all because at any point in the movie, these people are just caricatures, yeah. stand-ins for people who are supposed to be just cold, clinical, and heartless people. Exactly. They just exact it's so revenge to each other. Yeah, that's that's all they do. It's so unsubtle. There's no nuances of character. So And the movie doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, that's it's, essentially it's, it goes it's nowhere. It's just like, you know, it's, you just hit the pause button and you feel like the VHS tape kind of ended yeah. somewhere the, before the real The kind one of sympathetic character in this is the child because, you know, we don't see much of him, but he is... Because ups- he runs away. Yeah, we, we don't see much of him, <laughs> but, he's, but he's upset as anyone would be having to endure these, these awful people. And then he vanishes. And which I felt like the audience I could do after some point because I'm like, I wish I was a child and I could just run away from the theater. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I couldn't. But, um, you know, 
you know, early on, I'm just thinking like, all right, they're bad. The system sucks. Like, I get it. I, what more are you going to show me? But then the movie transitions into a police procedural about, you know, trying to find the child. And I struggle to understand what the point of all of this was. The, the What I think he was going for is sort of an aesthetic experience of big, cold, wintry landscapes to, um, you know, visualize the bleakness and the emptiness of these characters' lives. But he's not that good a visual poet. It's it's basically pretense Michael Haneke. In but that and, sense, but also, know? like, this, he's not Antonioni. I feel like he's trying to be Michelangelo yeah. Antonioni in a lot of ways with, like, these long architectural shots. You know, the disappearance story evokes La Ventura. But, um, yeah, it, it never goes deep. And the procedural ends up going, you know, taking over the film and I think distracting from any point about the characters. So it feels to me like a film without a focus that never finds a conclusion that would make this, you know, hit hard. It it seems like it's going for a really hard hitting portrait of humanity, but it doesn't have the balls to follow through in that. I'm really curious now because all the reviews I've read of this film, all the reviews I've seen have been exceptionally positive and unusually so. Um, what do you think has maybe resonated among some people, critics or audiences? Because it seems there's a very huge disconnect between what I'm hearing here and what I've seen otherwise. I think the technical side of this is great. It, you know, the cinematography is very good. But like I said, I didn't find it that visually arresting as to... Um, justify the really long-held takes and clearly it's designed to be a very yeah. strongly aesthetic experience and a, I, a I also critics, think the seriousness is of it is what people i think appeals to people i think a lot of critics did feel that the screenplay was very gripping and the the character studies kind of really got to them i found them to be quite amateurish yeah i, I felt and, the same know, way the characters were not people that i could actually see as real people you know these people were stand-ins for some kind of political you know doublespeak per se yeah. And a good companion piece for this would be actually Anurag Kashyap's film called Ugly, in which a child disappears and also there is a procedural afterwards. But that has, I think, a lot more twists and turns. Fred so tells you, me before we recorded this that it's available on Netflix. Yes. So watch that instead of watching Netflix. Instead of watching Loveless, sorry. And you'd enjoy this a lot more. We might do that in the future Netflix episode. Now, that was Loveless. Now we're talking about the exact opposite of Loveless, which is the Guernsey Literary and Potato Peel Pie Society. For the second <laughs> time i've got that right yes go me it is the one of the longest film titles i've ever seen like borat and strange that might be slightly longer it is starring lily james and it is the most british film since the last lily james world war ii drama <laughs> and this was darkest hour this was a terrible one-dimensional biopic of winston churchill this is very different this is set immediately after the second world war in guernsey which is a small island in the channel islands and tells the story of an author played by james who finds this amazing, interesting story, real-life story, about this book club in Guernsey and decides to go <laughs> and meets Michael Hisman, who Michael Hisman, excuse me, who plays Dario Naharis. Well, this is the second person to play Dario Naharis in Game of Thrones. It has a number of excellent British actors, Jessica Brown-Finlay, Catherine Parkinson, Penelope Wilton, who is everyone's favourite, Harriet Jones and Tom Courtney. Now, this for me was the ultimate rainy day movie it is charming it is nice but there is not a single thing here that you won't find predictable or when coming every arc is kind of shown there is a fiance who's the fiance in every single one of these films the guy who plays him played neil armstrong in hidden figures that gives you an idea wait uh, ben foster no that's no that's the other name um no. glenn powell 
Okay. Lynn Powell's. He looks a little similar. He's Sorry, that... I was thinking of Lance Armstrong. Sorry. Oh, yeah. That's the, gr- I that's the wrong Armstrong. Armstrong. <laughs> I missed that movie. I, need to wa- I, need, I really do need to watch that. But he has that same you know, chiseled jaw, blue eyes, blonde hair. Yeah. Why are these sort of supposedly charming figures cast as duds? Or maybe they're just duds in real life. And we're suddenly realizing that, oh, my God, maybe our heroes need to be a bit less chiseled. Yeah. The, the, the casting and everything about this performance told you exactly what was going to happen to his character. That's all right. Sorry, Shrek. Prince Charming is still my favorite character from Shrek, though. So, yeah, look, this is a charming film, except everything you learn about it, it's not intuitive. You can't figure it out. Either you're told or she literally asks character and they tell her, uh, which is... Now, there's some elements which I know I think Virat might find interesting in terms of how authors operate, but <laughs> those are few and how they develop a look, story, it's, but it's they're few got, and far between. It's got a book club, so I'm actually like, you know, how bad could it be? It, well, actually, I'm going to challenge you on that. It does not have a book club, because I was watching this film and I'm thinking, this is about a book club, and you know what? There's no actual sitting down and reading of books. And I think they realized this. And at the very end, during the credits, it's like a montage sequence of here's Jane Eyre and here's Weathering Heights and here's, um, oh, God, every, anything, everything between. We need books. Three minutes to throw it all in. But maybe that's the thing. I've just realized this because people have told me people don't actually read at book clubs. They're supposed to drink and make merry. Yeah, well, this is the thing. So, but I do have a book club, and I like that book club, and like a lot of the books in that book club, the books I, are I ones that. Part of your book club? Oh yes, you are. Of course, <laughs> I'm saying yes. Rut is obviously part of my book club. It is a wonderful book club. But as Rut will attest to, there are many books which, while they're not my first choice, they're completely unobjectionable. And this is that film in a nutshell. It is in cinemas now. As is Unsane from Steven Soderbergh. Um, this movie's getting a mixed reception. The thing that's been getting it headlines is that it's shot on an iPhone, but. Initially, the iPhone cinematography is a little bit unsettlingly weird. Um, it does look very low budget and very amateurish, but I think that's very much the point, as it reveals itself to be a film about stalking. And if, so, this feel of the you know the low budget um, consumer grade video gives you the sense that uh, um, we're watching footage of somebody being watched. You know, it's the viewpoint that we could have with our own phones if we were to, you know, get up in someone's face and film them. So it adds something to what becomes a very twisty B kind of psychological thriller. It's about a the woman who is a former victim of stalking who ends up being checked into a mental institution against her will and then starts to become convinced that her stalker is there with her on the premises. A very B-movie type plot, and Soderbergh directs it straight to the point. Um, like, you know, it, it is essentially, you know, like a midnight movie, um, twist-driven B-movie kind of thing. And the script, at least as far as the dialogue goes, is pretty bad. But the filmmaking elevates it to another level. The iPhone cinematography reveals itself to be pretty well-suited to this in another way, in that... Um, it starts looking more and more appropriate to the subject matter as we go into these dingy halls in the mental institution. Um, Soderbergh makes this film in a very strange way. He's also his editor and his cin- his own cinematographer. He's done that before. He's, yes, he's doing that all the time now, but I feel like using the iPhone has opened him up aesthetically because the cinematography in this was even more experimental than he's been doing in his last few projects. There are some very weird alienating angles in here. And I think as a work of visual storytelling, it's fantastic. It's um, it's very fast-paced. Uh, it's very direct. It, he, it gets very creepy in the camera angles he uses. Um, there are some neat editing tricks to ramp up the more suspenseful sequences. 
Um, yeah, I, I think Soderbergh's in really fine form as a filmmaker right now, and I would recommend this. This, I think, is the kind of movie that could have a long, long life on TV. Um, it's pretty, it's a page turner, you know? I'm really interested because we talked about Tangerine on the show, which was Sean Baker's film, which was shot on an iPhone 6. And there have been other short films that have been done. A part of it, the first Avengers film was shot on an iPhone. But am I right? This is the first, the biggest film or studio release that's ever been shot on an iPhone. Yeah, that's right. It's a studio release because it's been picked up by the studio, but it was made on a very low budget independently by Soderbergh. He's enjoying that route now with Logan Lucky. Very much so. Trying to circumvent the system. And uh, yeah, I think, as I've said, he's in fine form right now. He's doing a great job of it. Yeah, the cinematic revolution on International Workers' Day. Go May Day. Yeah, so recommended. Go um, revolution. Absolutely. And just and I have to ask Claire Foy. I've watched her in quite a few things, including The Crown. Is she does she up to task? Yes. Um, it's interesting you ask that because she's very um, she's good, but her, she's not trying to play this character as likable. She's playing a what um, a character that can be quite nasty in some ways. Something that I think people will appreciate about this script is that her character is very resourceful. It, she never does stupid things to prolong her suffering. It's it's all about a smart person in extreme circumstances trying to figure out how to come out alive, essentially. Because it seems with these sorts of films, and I haven't seen it yet, that it's going to go one or broadly one of two ways. And, and a lot of these films, once you figure that out, there's not a lot of dramatic tension. But from what I've heard, this is, has yeah, done it quite well. I think um, instead of just trying to mess with the audience about whether, um, is this real or is this fake? You know, there's a little bit of that. Is this just in her head? There's a, a tiny bit of that. But Soderbergh knows that the audience is going to you know be thinking in that direction and figuring that out so he instead he just goes straight to the point he knows that um you can't keep playing that old trick on people forever and so he quickly reorients the focus of the movie in more interesting ways that are more about exploring the characters i think brilliant so that is unsane which is in cinemas now as is loveless and guernsey i'm just going to call it guernsey it's going to get really complicated and Oh, just to touch on it briefly, Last Flag Flying is also in cinemas now, and me and Virat both agree. Uh, I think it was okay. It was pretty good. Solid, but like it didn't feel real, right? Yeah, flag flew at half-mast. Half, half and that was Last Flag Flying in cinemas now. Check out Cinema Reborn. This being Glenn Falkenstein, Chris Evans, and Virat Nehru. Have a great night. Enjoy movies. Good night. Bye. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>